We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. Welcome to Ye Old Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Stangle. Hello. Hi. How's it going? It's going. Yeah. Been busy the last couple days uh, taking care of the snow. Yeah. Not as much as we thought. I mean, we got a solid... Probably six inches. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> well, that is a good amount. That is a great size. Mm-hmm. We, I think we were supposed to get a lot more, weren't we? Weren't we supposed to get, like... I don't know, but it seems like it's been I enough. kept changing it. Because yeah. we got a layer of ice before we got the snow. So, like, mm-hmm. all the trees are covered in snow, which is very pretty. But It's pretty, but it's horrible for them. I can't tell you how many times I smacked my face into branches while I was clearing off the driveway because the tree branches aren't supposed to be that low. So I like yeah. at one point it like pulled my hat off my head because I wasn't oh, paying no. attention. And I was just like, God damn it. Like I was just so angry. Oh no. First world Midwest problems. Yeah. Alrighty. This episode comes out the week of Christmas. Oh, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. And with that in mind, I just wanted to take two seconds to talk about the calendar promo that we're running. They're currently doing an end of the year sale that will take place starting today, which is December 21st through New Year's Eve for the 2023 True Crime Indie Podcast calendar that we are a part of. We are the month of May. And... You can get $7 off your calendar by using our promo code OLDCRIMERS, O-L-D-E, CRIMERS, all one word, at podcastcalendars.com. So if you'd like to support us, we get a little bit of the proceeds. And if you want a sweet calendar for next year, go check it out. Absolutely. Be more organized and look at our faces for an entire 31 days. Yeah. Today's going to be a little bit different because... I am going to be sharing stories behind popular Christmas tales. Ooh, that's that's appropriate. That's time timeline appropriate. And they're bad. <laughs> yeah, as like as I've gotten to know, like all of the rhymes and like cutesy little songs that we learned are all like to prevent murder, because of murder, mm-hmm. famine. I don't know, just like general immolating chaos. people to death. Yeah. Yeah. All the things. Uh-huh. So we'll let's get into it. Sure. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. There's only three separate stories, so that's why I have a ton of sources. Okay. I'm ready. So the information was pulled from the following sources. A twenty twenty one Farmer's Almanac article by Amy Grisak. 2020 Fodor's Travel article by Jesse Tabot, 2020 Insider article by Sophia Mitro-Kostis, 2020 Ripley's article by Chris Littlechild, 2019 CTV News article by Christy Somos, 2019 Discover Walks blog post by Eli, 2019 The Guardian article by J. Oliver Conroy, 2018 Classic FM article by Elizabeth Davis, 2018 Pathios blog post by Matt Oren. 2017 BBC article by Veronique Greenwood. 2017 History Collection article by Natasha Sheldon. 2016 Daily Star article by Tom Evans. 2016 The Richest article by Melissa Kay. 2013 Scary for Kids blog post. Bartleby, Story Nori, and two Wikipedia links. Dang, thorough. I like it. And links to all of these articles will be included in the show notes. Got something you want to say? Shoot us an email over at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. 
We'd love to hear your story ideas, see any gifts you send our way, or if you just want to say hello. We're pretty friendly. Speaking of friendly, if you'd like to have real-time conversations with us, consider joining our Discord over at the Cultivate Network. You can chat with us over at the Old Crimers Cubby, or catch up with any of the other great creators that are part of the Cultivate family of podcasts. Just click the link in our show notes or over on our link tree to get started today. So today, I'm going to be sharing with you three Christmas-themed stories behind popular Christmas carols and tales. Fun fact, my depression has been super bad this month, which makes writing and researching really hard because I have little interest in doing anything. So all of this was taken from my other podcast, Pineapple Pizza. Plus, I really like these stories because they're all messed up, and I wanted to share them with our old crimers. Yeah, still appropriate. Yeah, so with that said, I hope you guys like it. Happy holidays, y'all. Today's first tale is about a popular Christmas carol that goes as follows. Good King Wenceslas looked out on the feast of Stephen, when the snow lay round about, deep and crisp and even. Brightly shone the moon that night, though the frost was cruel. When a poor man came inside, gathering winter fuel. Bring me flesh and bring me wine, bring me pine logs hither. Thou and I shall see him dine when we bear them thither. Page and monarch, for they went, for they went together. Through the roof winds by the bed and the bitter weather. In his master's tent, his master's tent, he started It was in the very sod which the saint had printed. Therefore, Christian men, be sure, wealth or rank possessing. He who now will bless the poor, shall yourselves find bless. So you won't freeze to death if you feed homeless dudes? Well, we'll kind of go into it. Okay. (laughs) So this popular Christmas carol, written in 1853 by John Mason Neal, although the melody comes from a 13th century song called Tempus Adestoridum, in honor of spring, was penned for the feast of St. Stephen, a.k.a. Boxing Day. Ah, all right. And it discusses the practice of charitable giving on the second day of Christmas. What many may not know are the gruesome true details behind this <laughs> beloved song. Great. <laughs> As we'll get into, because it's, it's fucked up. Yeah. The man behind the carol was a real person named Wenceslas I, Duke of Bohemia. He was also referred to as Wotslav the Good. He was born in 907 CE, but wasn't a member of the Christian faith. Oh. Mm-hmm. His mother, Drahomira, was the daughter of a pagan tribal chief of Havilland, and she was ultimately baptized prior to her marriage to his father, Uratislas. Okay. Was his father Christian then? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. He was born the eldest son and had one younger brother named Boleslav. Cool name. I know. These names do not... Well, do these names exist? I don't know. German listeners. I don't know. Wenceslas was educated by his grandmother, Ludmila, who lived in Prague. She, along with her chaplain, Paul, raised him as a devout Christian. And when he was of age, he was sent to college in Budavis, where he furthered his education and became even more devout in his beliefs. Okay. Meanwhile, as his father lay dying, his mother, Drahomira, assumed the mantle of regent, and in one telling was said to have let her, quote, paganism run rampant throughout the government, end quote. Oh, no. Gross. Punishing those in the church who practiced and forbidding the instruction of Christianity to children. I don't think that's pagan. That's a separation of church and state. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. Because it, it would be it would be a pagan thing if she forced them to now 
practice paganism in lieu of it. Mm-hmm. That's true. And punish. But for her to just be like, hey, can you can you not? That's not. Yeah, just keep it in the church. That's not a crime. She also raised her youngest son, Boleslav, in her pagan traditions, stirring up hatred within him for Christianity. Probably because she was forced to be baptized before she married, I would imagine. But I, I don't know. Upon Wenceslas's father's death, there was political strife in Bohemia. The people of Bohemia wished for Wenceslas to rule. And in an effort to avoid war, the country was split in two, with one half given to his younger brother, Boleslav. However, Boleslav, later known as Boleslav the Cruel, uh, yeah, he didn't want half of the country. He wanted the whole thing. Well, of course. Yeah. Why not? I'm sorry, but that sounds like a very youngest sibling kind of That's thing to do. That's such a younger sibling <laughs> thing to do. God. No, I, want, I don't want to share it. I want my own country. I don't want to share it. You get everything. I want my own country. <laughs> don't want to share it. Not fair. My Drahomira, having lost her title of regent upon the ascent of Wenceslas to the throne in 921 CE, looked for ways to punish her pious son. Oh. She put together a plot to kill her mother-in-law, Ludmila, who learned of the plot. Ludmila was not afraid to die, and so she instead prepared for it by gifting her goods and money amongst her servants and the poor. She was later strangled by assassins with her own veil as she was praying before the altar in the church at her home. Damn. She was later honored in Bohemia as a martyr, and her day is September 16th. That would make sense. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, this sounds kind of like a Kill Bill film. It does a little bit. A Quentin Tarantino thing. <laughs> you yeah. watch now, he, now he's going to make a movie with this, and it's like the little... like song is playing in the background ah murder <laughs> now you're getting strangled <laughs> random shots of feet <laughs> super close up on your face <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile Boleslav was plotting with a group of three nobles in September of 935 CE to kill his older brother it was decided that it would happen at a celebration in honor of the birth of his son. Wenceslas accepted the invitation to rejoice the birth of his nephew and went without suspecting that anything ill would befall him. That's really not okay. That's not cool. Like, one, you're already a crappy dad ruining your son's birthday. Mm-hmm. Like, it's his first one. Can you breathe? Yeah. <laughs> Can you breathe, please? <laughs> To like, uncles are fu- uncles can be fun. Mm-hmm. That's why they have the term funkles. Yeah, you're just robbing your son one of a good birthday and two of a funkle. Like mm-hmm. that's just not. Mm-hmm. Later that night, on September twenty eighth, nine hundred and thirty five C.E., three nobles, Tira, Chesta, and Heyesa each stabbed Wenceslas as he was conducting his nightly prayers in church before his younger brother ran him through with a lance. In some places it said he was dismembered, but I couldn't confirm that. I mean, he could have based on the impact. Mm -hmm. And if he would have hit anything from being lanced, Mm -hmm. because that inertia could have done a lot of stuff dang yeah wow okay Wenceslas was considered a martyr following his death and was promoted to king of bohemia after holy roman emperor otto i granted him the title posthumously in 937 ce so two years later okay to honor him the date of his death september 28th was later named saint's day following his canonization Cosmas of Prague wrote in 1119 CE that St. Wenceslas, quote, rising every night from his noble bed with bare feet and only one chamberlain, 
He went around to God's churches and gave alms generously to widows, orphans, those in prison, and afflicted by every difficulty, so much so that he was considered not a prince, but the father of all the wretched, end quote. So he just, like, haunted all these churches and was like, you know what? I'm going to help you get your wish today. Mm-hmm. I'm going to help you get that prayer answered. Here's some ghost money. Yeah. I'm sorry. This is a dumb question. What's a chamberlain? I don't know. I'm going to look it up. Oh, an officer who manages the household of a monarch or a noble. So, yeah. It would be like a footman or mm. somebody of the equivalent. Okay. Or kind of like a manservant. Something like that. Yeah. Well, so then that kind of implies that, like, whoever was with him praying died too, I guess. Mm-hmm. If he did have a posse like that. Yeah. That kind of got recognized. Yeah. But he still helps out. <laughs> yeah. Even in death. Legend states that on Christmas Day, Duke Wenceslas would visit each of his servants and soldiers in his castle and give them each a gold coin. So this is pre-death. Let's just be clear. This is before he died. Okay. Okay. <laughs> There's just like floating coins. <laughs> What's that? Oh, that's just thank Duke Wenceslas. Thank, thank you, Your Majesty. <laughs> After which he would say, May the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, who was born on this day, bless you and watch over you. He made his way from the kitchen to the guardhouse to the laundry to the maids and the stables before entering the dungeons. After giving his verbal blessings to each of the prisoners, he came last upon an old woman with eyes of piercing blue. Turning to the jailer, he asked what crime she had committed, to which the jailer replied, quote, My lord, she is a priestess of the old school. She performed pagan rites and led the people in the worship of false gods. End quote. This saddened the duke, who said that if she had been guilty of a lesser crime, even murder, he could have let her go so she could die in her bed with her family. Okay. Yeah. All right. Turning to the old woman, he said, quote, Do you not see now how the Christian religion teaches mercy and kindness? This Christmas day, I have pressed gold into the hands of the lowliest servant in my castle. Are you not impressed by my good works in the name of Jesus Christ? Do you not renounce the devil and your gods and come to the true Savior? Only say the words, I do, and you shall be rid of your chains this Christmas day. End quote. I still would have said no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nah. <laughs> In response, the priestess fixed the duke with her piercing eyes and stated, quote, The scummiest jailer in your castle is a lord in comparison to the peasants outside. You have no idea what it means to live in a hovel, to freeze in the depths of winter, to have rags for clothes and a few sticks for a fire. Throw coins to your groveling servants if it makes you feel good before you stuff yourself with rich food. Only don't talk to me of your false charity. End quote. Yeah. Yeah, preach it, ma'am. Yeah. The Duke didn't order her whipped, as it was Christmas. Okay, and she was half dead with cataracts. Yeah. That's fine. But he shook his head at her and headed back through the busy castle with her words repeating in his head. That you suck. <laughs> <laughs> you suck. <laughs> You're a hypocrite. He ordered his servant to bring him his fur-lined cloak, hat, gloves, and boots, while another servant strapped his sword to his side. His horse was brought into the courtyard, and a small ladder was placed next to it. Because the duke was so tiny. <laughs> it's a tiny little duke. Got to climb up on the pony. <laughs> now I'm just picturing Lord Farquaad. <laughs> I know. Like a mini horse. <laughs> it's just got a pony. The duke soon <laughs> mounted his horse, and with his page following him, headed out into the village. Sorry, side note, little Sebastian. <laughs> He's riding little Sebastian into the village. <laughs> oh, man. The page led the Duke towards the home of his grandmother, and along the way they ran into her at the drinking well, using a long pole to try to break up the ice. 
The duke gave his page a gold coin and instructed him to give it to his grandmother, which he did with much happiness. Upon seeing this, the other peasants rushed towards the duke and begged him for money. The duke tossed a handful of coins upon the ground, after which they dove to scoop them up. After this, the duke returned to the castle to celebrate Christmas, but he didn't feel any better about what happened in the village. Yeah, you just threw a bunch of metal at people. You basically, like, treated them like chickens. Yeah, and instead of inviting, what was it, his grandmother? Mm-hmm, the page's grandmother, yeah. Yeah, instead of inviting the page's grandmother inside, he was like, hey, looks like she's thirsty. Give her a coin. Yeah. And let's leave. Yeah. The following day, which was the feast day of St. Stephen, even though there was boxing, jousting, music, dancing, and tons of food, the Duke still couldn't enjoy the festivities. Aww. What's tiniest violin? He left the banquet hall and went to the ramparts of the castle for some fresh air, where he looked down upon the village. Below, he saw a peasant searching for and gathering sticks for the fire. At once, he called for his page and instructed him to bring the best food and wine from the banquet along with some logs, which he intended to take down to the man. As he headed down to the gates to meet his page, the servants came to him with his fur-lined clothes and boots as they had the night before, but he refused them, and instead took off his shoes and stood barefoot upon the snow-covered ground. It's a little performative, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I won't wear near a piece of, of fabric on my feet. Although I will... I would do barefoot instead of wet socks. That's true. <laughs> nothing worse than wet socks. <laughs> nothing worse than wet socks. Even he knows that. Once the page had arrived, he and the duke headed into the village on foot, both carrying gifts for the peasant that the duke had seen. The servants, convinced that he had gone mad, could only watch with dread, worried that he would die in the cold. Or that he'd be beat up for all of the resources. <laughs> yeah. You're not on a horse now. <laughs> As the peasant was heading back to the village, the duke and his page hurried after him. Even though the duke's bare feet would sink deep into the snow, he never faltered and continued on. His page, who could feel the chill of the snow creeping in from his boots as the wind cut into his face, called out to the duke that he could go no further before falling to his knees. The duke, looking back upon his page, noticed that he could clearly see his footprints illuminated in the snow, and instructed the page to literally follow in his footsteps, which he did, and his energy seemed to be restored. The pair managed to catch up with the peasant just before he reached the village, and upon receiving their gifts, he thanked and blessed them. When the duke and his page returned to the castle, the duke immediately released the old woman from jail. Okay. There, see, I did a nice thing. You're welcome. And my tootsies are so cold. And I lost all my toes. <laughs> He's interred at St. Vitus's Cathedral in Prague, and the anniversary of his death is celebrated as a public holiday in the Czech Republic. Nice. I mean, like, in the end, that's nice, but at the same time, like, he still doesn't sound like a super decent dude. <laughs> Yeah, it's like like he just he gave he gave stuff once before he got stabbed to death. Right? It's like this is my one Christmas. It's like if Scrooge like woke up and he was like, "It's Christmas," and then somebody stabbed him to death <laughs> for all of the bad stuff he did. I gotta go meet my nephew for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> and then he gets Caesared. God. Yeah. Our next story takes us to the Alsace-Lorraine region of France, near the German okay. border. All and right. it's here that we'll learn of the legend of Hans Trapp. Are you familiar with Hans Trapp? I don't think so. No. Okay. Well, that's good, because he was a piece of shit. <laughs> Great! <laughs> Hans was, according to legend, a vain, heartless, cunning, cruel, and greedy man that saw himself excommunicated from the Catholic Church in the 15th century for supposedly chilling with the devil. Dang, you know you got to be a nasty person for the Catholic Church to be like, yeah, no. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Especially back then when like they all did whatever they wanted. Yeah. 
They were they were not pious men by any stretch of the means. As well as being kicked out of the church for sacrilege, Satanism, <laughs> for using witchcraft to become rich and influential, and demonolatry, and having his status and land stripped from him, he was also ostracized from his village. To the surprise of no one. Right. I bet they were like, thank God we have an excuse to get this cretin out of our house. (laughs) You need to leave! Hans fled to the mountains of Bavaria in Germany, where he lived as a hermit in a makeshift home on the mountain of Geisberg. Fueled by rage against the church (laughs) and the villagers who spurned him, as one does, all he could think about was getting revenge. So his house was well heated. (laughs) He became obsessed with this idea, eventually going insane. Perfect. It's unclear when exactly it happened, but at some point, Hans thought to himself, you know what? Something's missing from my life. And that something is cannibalism. (laughs) What? (laughs) I'm sorry. Never not once has that thought ever, like, swim around near or entered my brain. You know what I'm missing in life? I haven't tasted the flesh of another. With a great black garlic, some brown butter. So Hans disguised himself as a scarecrow. No! Oh, it gets so much better, Maddie. (laughs) Uh, so he disguised himself as a scarecrow by stuffing straw into his ragged clothes and he would gather sticks in the field as he lay in wait for the perfect victim he one day spotted a young shepherd boy as he made his way through the woods before the boy knew what was happening hans had run him through with a sharpened stick jeez Mm mm-hmm a stick? Like, not even, like, an actual weapon? You just... Yeah, like a sharpened stick. Oh, my God. Returning to his camp, he then cut him into small pieces before cooking him over a fire. <clears throat> However, before he was able to take his first bite, God was like, you know what? Fuck that. And he <laughs> killed Hans with a bolt of lightning. <laughs> You know what? You know what, Hans? You can't. You can't always get what you want in life. Okay. <laughs> what? There's a part of me that's like, why did you wait until after he had killed and dismembered <laughs> and cooked this poor boy? Right. Before right. you're like, like, you know what? Before you take that first bite, <laughs> I'm gonna I can't smite you. you. Did that. Like, what did that kid do? Oh, man. (sighs) (laughs) What the hell, God? Right? thanks? (laughs) And so, even though God was like, lightning bolt, lightning bolt, death. (laughs) Literally. Lightning bolt, lightning bolt. (laughs) That doesn't mean that that was the end of Hans. So now his ghost stabs people with sticks. (laughs) Well, during the dark days of winter, he's said to return to the village, dressed as a scarecrow with a hood obscuring his face, looking for tasty young children that he can whisk away. But of course, he only takes the naughty ones. I was just going to say, he turned into a wendigo, but wendigos have to eat flesh. Mm Mm-hmm. Or commit some other sort of taboo to do that. It's said that at some point, Hans became pals with St. Nick (laughs) in an effort for redemption. And he goes around with him to urge naughty children to change their ways so they don't end up as crazy devil-worshipping cannibals like he did. So he's he's doing that thing where, like, they take kids... To like prisons, and he's the the one prisoner that's like, listen. Let's try to scare him straight. <laughs> yeah. 
I did PCP and and hit like twelve people and <laughs> I fucking stabbed the shepherd boy, tore that guy about apart, and I was gonna eat that bitch. And God said, "Psych, <laughs> don't be like me, or God's gonna psych you too." <laughs> now I'm just this creepy ass scarecrow. <laughs> also, fear the rain. You never know. <laughs> Keep your eyes to the sky, son. <laughs> Clouds are scary, y'all. <laughs> Considered a popular boogeyman that children fear upon the utterance of his name. What many people don't realize is that the legend of this cannibalistic madman is actually rooted in truth. No. Hans von Trotha was born into the aristocratic Trotha family in 1450 and was the fourth son of Thilo von Trotha. He entered service of the electors and Counts Palatine in Heidelberg in the late 1470s as a young man. He later became a knight in 1480, and Philip the Sincere gave him the hereditary fiefs of two castles in the French-German territory of Palatine, Berwartstein and Grafendon. That was the most German paragraph i have ever read i love that he just inherits two random castles yeah philip was very sincere when he was like look son you get not one but two i'm serious i'm, I'm very sincere about this have i, have I ever steered you wrong <laughs> in 1485 he argued with the church over the property of berwartstein and its riches but the abbot Henry of the Order of Benedictine Monks at Weissenberg Abbey refused to hand over the property to Hans as it belonged to the monastery. I really don't want to kick all these dudes out. <laughs> like, please stop. Yeah. <laughs> this is, they live here now. Henry stated that the property had not been given to Hans legally, as the castle had been placed simply under the elector's protection in 1453. So basically, Philip the Sincere didn't sincerely understand what he was gifting and that he wasn't allowed to gift it. Yeah. And also, like, <laughs> squatters' rights. <laughs> I guess. I guess. Get out of here, monks. <laughs> this is my town. In retaliation, Hans built a dam on the Weislauter River that stopped the supply of water to the nearby town of Weissenberg. The abbot had the dam destroyed, which resulted in the town being flooded, destroying the homes <laughs> and businesses of the villagers. This sounds like a Despicable Me movie. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> just No water to all of the water. Good luck, everybody else. Hans continued to fight with the abbot regarding the church, and even the pleading of the emperor to cease the conflict couldn't persuade him to stop. So yeah, he was a really nice guy. Yeah. The argument between the pair continued to escalate before Hans was eventually summoned before Pope Innocent VIII in 1491. Hans refused to travel to Rome to plead his case. And eight years later, he was once again summoned to the papal court, this time before Alexander VI. Ooh. He once again refused, this time via letter. But it didn't matter, as he was excommunicated from the church. Yeah. You, you gotta show up to your court dates. Yeah. You can't just not come. Doesn't matter what century you're in. You gotta go. You gotta go. <laughs> in an effort to distance themselves from Hans, so they themselves wouldn't also face excommunication, Philip the Sincere and Emperor Maximilian I pronounced an imperial ban on Hans in 1496. Ooh, what does that mean? Basically, you weren't allowed to interact with him at all. Such like a playground. That's threat. such a mean girl's thing. You can't sit with yeah. us! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> so, <laughs> the, the Gretchen Wiener law. Yep. Even though there is no written record of Hans transforming himself into a scarecrow that hunts down and eats children, 
Hans continued to do well for himself, even after he was thrown out of the church. Of course. Hans was sent to the French royal court during the Italian Wars because of his diplomatic skills, where he was later given the Chevalidor knighthood by King Louis XII. Upon his death on October 26, 1503, of natural causes at his castle in Berbartstein, all of the charges of his misdeeds were reversed, and he was forgiven. Gross. He is buried in St. Anne's Chapel in Niederschlettenbach. Today, Hans Trapp is said to have a white beard, pointed hat, and carry a wooden rod in addition to dressing as a scarecrow. So no hood. No hood. Just a pointy gnome hat. Nice. This final story is a popular tale that I think once I get into it, you're going to be like, yeah, I know this one. Okay. And this is the last one. Okay. If you live in the UK, you're probably familiar with a popular Christmas dish known as mincemeat pie. Hmm. This festive dish is made with fruit, spices like cinnamon and nutmeg, and a mix of herbs. But it's rumored that once upon a time, back in the 16th century, this dish had a, shall we say, more meaty and rather unsavory beginning. Was it long pig? Yeah. God damn it. How did you sneak two cannibal stories in this Christmas one? I don't know, but I'm not upset about it. And I don't, I I, I'm not going to apologize. <laughs> no, you won't. <laughs> Historians in 2016, particularly a blogger named C.R. Barry, wrote about how the dish was actually invented by a group of French cannibals. It's always the French. Yeah. Bone bread, now mincemeat pie. And they're the ones that punish pigs for eating their babies' faces when they don't feed them. Just feed the pigs and then you can eat them. Like, that's how... That's how it should work. It's a food chain. You gotta... (laughs) Okay. Never break the chain. <laughs> or the big ol' eat your face. <laughs> like, what the hell? They decided to make pies filled with a mix of fruit, spices, and minced meat to hide the fact that the source of the protein was actually people. Okay. And the reason mincemeat pies today are now meat-free is to hide the fact that they started off as such a horrific dish. Great. In Paris in 1384, the butcher of Rue de Marmoset was one of the most well-known of his trade in the entirety of France. Of his wares, his pâtés and meat pies were what sold the most. People from all over the country would travel to Paris just to try them. Mm-hmm. Even King Charles VI reportedly came to sample his wares. Uh oh. BFD. Like, super exclusive. Mm hmm. He's the Guy Fieri of France. Yep. Yeah, there you go. I was trying to think <laughs> of a dives, diners, and drive ins joke, but I couldn't <laughs> think of one. <laughs> well, next to the butcher shop was the town barber, who had a large number of patrons and was particularly popular amongst foreign students who were in the city to study philosophy. No. Mm-hmm. It's said that when he would find himself alone with one of these foreigners, his hand would occasionally slip, and he would slit the throat of the unsuspecting student before they were sent down a chute into the basement, a basement that he shared with his neighbor, the butcher. So this is now Sweeney Todd. Yes. Yes. Okay, got it. The butcher would then proceed to chop, grind, and mash the body until they were at a consistency where they could be the key ingredient for one of his famous meat pies. The reason they would slaughter and serve foreigners was because it was far less likely that their families would miss them right away, or even notice that they were gone until long after they'd been served to the unsuspecting people of Paris. Gross. This practice between the two men took place for years, And it wasn't until a young German student went missing that the life of crime the two had been living began to crumble in 1387. The police had no idea where to even begin to look for the missing student until they noticed something peculiar about this student's dog. Okay. The dog would stay outside the barbershop day and night, 
barking and seemingly waiting for his master to exit the building. It wasn't long before the police decided it was worth looking into. That's when the basement of horrors was discovered. The butcher and barber were arrested, taken outside the city hall of Paris, and soon hanged. As for the student's dog, he was awarded the Medal of Honor for solving the case. Stop! That's so cute! (laughs) (laughs) I hope we got a good home. I hope somebody, like... I do, too. And, as you mentioned, if you're thinking to yourself, that sounds familiar, I'm not surprised, as it inspired the tale of Sweeney Todd, who first appeared in A Penny Dreadful in 1847. The location of Sweeney Todd changed from the then small city of Paris to the bustling city of London, where barber Sweeney Todd partnered with his neighbor, Mrs. Lovett, whose pies were the worst in London before Sweeney showed up. The story of the original butcher and barber in Paris may not be the true inspiration for the story of Sweeney Todd, however. There are other reports of a similar tale taking place in the 17th century during the French Revolution, but there is no proof of any questionable murders taking place. Mm -hmm. It is more likely that the British were trying to paint the French as barbaric cannibalistic commoners. They, They have been known to do stuff like that. Yeah. 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 Once upon a time in the UK, being able to afford a mincemeat pie meant you were doing rather well for yourself. At that time, the pies were filled with savory meats like lamb or minced beef, which was a luxury that not everyone could indulge in. Mm -hmm. One of the earliest mentions of a pie full of meat and spices appeared in an English cookbook from 1390 titled A Form of Curry, which called for the maker to grind up pork, hard-boiled eggs, and cheese before mixing in spices, saffron, and sugar. At this point in history, meat pies would have been intended as a full meal, not as the small tart-like pastries that they are now. That makes sense. Yeah. So like a full chicken pot pie. Yeah. Portable and hearty. Mm -hmm. Around the mid-17th century is when mince pies seem to start being tied to the holiday of Christmas although they were still enjoyed throughout the rest of the year. And you're familiar with Oliver Cromwell, right? hmm Yeah, that guy didn't like things that were festive. <laughs> Shocker. And he had spiced right. treats, of which mincemeat pie was one, made illegal. Cool. A 1661 book about the Interregnum, a.k.a. when the Puritans ruled the country, the author included a rhyme that goes as follows. Quote, all plums the prophet's sons defy, and spice broths are too hot. Treasons in a December pie, and death within the pot. End quote. In 1850, Washington Irving wrote, quote, Nearly two centuries had elapsed since the fiery persecution of poor mince pie throughout the land, <laughs> when plum porridge was denounced as mere paupery. The war on pie. By the mid-1800s, mincemeat pies, sans meat, started to make an appearance, partially due to the fact that sugar was starting to become easier to acquire, which ushered in the era of sweet pies. Nice. In 1861, a cookbook by Mrs. Beaton provided directions on how to make meat pies as well as a sweet, meat-free version. By the time that the Victorian era came along, mince pies were almost exclusively meat-free. Regarding the story of the French butcher and baker, a folk song was written in 1387, the same year that the pair were said to be executed, titled, quote, The Legend of the Barber and the Bloody Pastry Seller, end quote, that goes as follows. I don't know the rhyme, so I'm just going to read it. Okay. Quote, And Rue de Duhamel, near the Marmose, where two accursed souls, by their dreadful crimes, the bloodthirsty barber and reckless baker, discovered by a dog, making the world eat, by fruitful cruelty, the flesh of a Christian. End quote. And to end on a fun note. Oh, great, yeah. <laughs> the law banning mincemeat pies during the reign of Cromwell was never actually repealed. So it's a bit of a well-known fact that anyone who eats them in the UK is actually breaking the law. But it's not something you're going to get arrested for. 
So those are three adorable Christmas stories that you yeah. didn't know were awful. Yep. Super cute. All of them. You're, you're welcome. Yeah. If you're interested in ad-free content, consider supporting us with a one-time donation either over on Buy Me a Coffee or our Venmo page, both of which are in our link tree and in the show notes. If you'd like early ad-free content, not to mention some bonus material, become a member of our Patreon today, low as a dollar a month. Hi, this is Edward October for OctoberPodVHS.com, here to tell you what people are saying about our true crime podcast. A thread store in Arizona says, too much dribble and slang. These ladies obviously enjoy their own humor and sound high. Hey, at least they called you ladies. Benny from Idaho says, your topics are so appealing, but a three-person pod is difficult enough to follow without banter. Um, our true crime podcast only has two people wait 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 wait. where's the other 100 five-star reviews can somebody give me the five-star reviews okay here we go much better luscious lee says stand up five stars you girls are funny af i especially love the me and mrs jones rendition you sneak into the recording cherry g 107 says i struggle finding a new podcast and so far i've been hooked to you guys podcast keep up the good work thumbs up thumbs up smiley face our true crime podcast two girls one story and lots of bad renditions of songs you love available on your favorite podcatcher go binge it today and this week's podcast plug is the our true crime podcast it focuses on bizarre lesser known crime cases from around the globe delivered with respect a bit of humor and a smidge of song everything you've come to love from jen and cam and we will have a link to their show in the show notes. What is something good you'd like to share, Maddie? Something good I'd like to share this week is I was able to pretty much perfect one of my fiance's favorite cookies from a grocery store without asking them for the recipe. Nice. Yeah. So you know how Cub Foods has those English toffee cookies? Yes. Have you had them before? Yes. They're magical. Mm-hmm. I know how to make them. Nice. Yeah. They're like super soft and chewy and caramelly and delicious. My first round didn't work. They were like too shortbready. Mm. And then I tweaked the recipe that I had gotten and I got them. It was on the money. It was on the money. So that's my something good. I love it when I can win <laughs> at baking or cooking <laughs> when I've successfully done something in that category. I was win, 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 no matter what. <laughs> yeah. Got money on my mind. Oh, we don't want to. Yeah. Don't claim us for that. <laughs> that was under 30 seconds. We're good. <laughs> what about you? What's something good? My something good is, so I take Kona to a groomer maybe once every couple months something like that mm-hmm. mainly to get her nails taken care of because yeah. I am not good at trimming her nails myself I always end up cutting the quick and then I just I've stopped trying I'm like I don't want to yeah I don't want to do it anymore it's so, de- it's so devastating when that happens I mean it's a whole thing because I have to get the carpet cleaner out and clean out the blood stains out of the carpet <laughs> and it just becomes a thing yeah. so I took her today to get groomed she's got the same groomer every time it's this tara she's lovely and she loves kona a lot she says she's her baby and i go to pick her up and she had gotten kona some christmas presents stop she got her this she i don't think she even realized what she did yeti dog toy stop and this like you know like big dog biscuit that was like cute christmas themed and i was just like that is so cute and i was like you didn't have to do that and she's like no but she's my favorite and i wanted to you know give you a little something special and i was like you are adorable so yeah. i gave her a big tip yeah shout out to tara man <laughs> so thank you tara for being lovely she's actually able yeah. to grind kona's nails down so they're like not super yeah. sharp 
right? She, I don't know what sort of wizardry she does on Kona to be able to do that, but she needs to never, ever stop being a groomer. I don't know what we'll, we'll, what we'll do. <laughs> nice. So that's my something good. Thank you, Tara, for being an amazing person and dog groomer. Thank you, Tara. And on that note, let's start shutting it down. Let's shut her down. Looking for more content? You can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com. If you'd like to see pictures from this week's episode, not to mention bonus content and funny memes, make sure to follow us on Twitter at yieldcrimepod and on Facebook and Instagram at yieldcrimepodcast. On TikTok, of course you are. Follow us at Yield Crime Podcast. A great way to support the show, if you can't do so financially, is to leave us a five-star rating and review. Great places to do that are Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Good Pods. You can leave a five-star rating on Spotify or wherever you can leave a rating. This week's comes from Apple Podcasts from Venturian Tale is Awesome. And they say, nice. amazing, three exclamation points. So happy to have found this podcast. You two are amazing. Bring on great guests. And the content speaks to my spoopy, morbid little heart. (laughs) That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad that we connect on that level. Absolutely. That we can be that for you. Yeah. If you want a playlist of all our episodes on YouTube, Click the link in our show notes or in our link tree and subscribe today for not only a list of our full catalog, but a separate list as well, just of our Can You Crack the Cramp Word segments. I'm just double checking to see if I have anything. About a sale. (laughs) About a sale. I got nothing. So (laughs) if there is a tea public sale, news to surprise (laughs) surprise surprise because i don't know i'll include it on the socials if there is one that's awesome on that note as always i'm Lindsay, and i'm madison and we'll see you next time with another tale as old as crime happy holidays happy holidays